welcome to the Legacy Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Tommy Miller. For more information about Legacy Church, please visit us online at www.legacychurchclm.org. Physical healing to the church has become a concept that was introduced more by like Benny Hinn and some of the charismatic preachers, more than it is a theology that we've discussed what Jesus actually says about it, right? And usually the, the healing camps tend to be kind of weird or, or off-putting camps that we really don't have much to do with. Um, but the Bible's clear on physical healing. And I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump right back into Isaiah 53 where, where God took us earlier, but then I'm going to expound. So Isaiah 53, 3 through 5 says, He was despised and he was rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. And we did not esteem him. Surely he bore our griefs, he carried our sorrows. Yet we esteem him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes were healed. Now, this is the strange thing about this passage, is we are okay. Ready? We are okay with him taking our grief. We're okay with him taking our sorrow. We're okay with him paying for our transgressions and being bruised for our iniquities, and we're okay with him giving us peace, right? For the most part, the the Western gospel clearly functions and receives all of those things. But in the same breath, and it says he was beaten so you could be healed, why do we shy away from something so plain in text, but so kind of hard to grasp. I think a lot of it was because, you know, grief and sorrow and iniquity and transgression, those things are really not tangible. And it's something you can continually talk yourself into. I don't have grief. I don't have sorrow. I don't have iniquity. Because you really can't show somebody your grief or your sorrow. But when you're walking with a limp, when the, the report comes back from the doctor, there is, there is a fact in your life that is trying to come and contradict the truth of your understanding. And as long as there are facts, then we have to be okay with confronting facts with truth. Facts and truth aren't the same thing. We were talking this morning, Joe Weaver. This man is is a pillar of faith. He continues to press in for healing no matter what he sees. He's a pillar. And you understand that (coughs) there, there are healing preachers out there that when somebody doesn't get healed, they start to justify. And all I'm saying is, is you can't find that in the word. And I've just simply made an agreement with myself that I can't find, if I can't find it in Jesus's mouth or his train of thought, then I refuse to allow it in mine. I can't afford to. I don't have time to. And it really won't do me any good, will it? Todd White. How many of you have heard of Todd White? We had Dan Moeller here, which is his spiritual father. Todd White, when he, when he first started praying for sick people, he was young and zealous. He just knew God wanted to heal pe- people. So he'd say, hey, I see you got a cast on, brother. Let me pray for you. Worst that's going to happen is nothing. <laughs> I mean, really, what's keeping us from pressing into truth other than the fear of disappointment? The fear of disappointment is self-preserving. Healing is selfless because it was paid for by somebody other than you. So we're okay with the untangible. We're okay with saying, oh, I don't have grief. I don't have sorrow. I don't have iniquity. I do have peace because those are things that we can lie about. Those are things that church faces change. But you can't cover up a legitimate problem 
that God brought a legitimate solution to. So we decide to let those ones sneak by, right? So let's teach through this. Turn to the book of Matthew, chapter 10. Thank you so much, Jeremiah. So Jeremiah bought this Bible when he uh, got saved and started getting serious about getting into the Word. Dude reads like it's going out of style. I can tell. This thing's like worn in. Um, And I really liked his Bible, so I went and bought myself the same one. So this is kind of like home to me. Matthew chapter 10. And like I said, I'm not really going to try to get us excited today. I just want us to be confronted with some truth that, uh, that will hopefully... Where's Heather? Come here. She was at the door. Are you going somewhere? You're just sneaking out on the preaching. Okay. Okay, so um, Heather Weaver called me um, three and a half years ago to ask me a question about Scripture. And I don't want to share her testimony, but I'd like to give her a couple minutes to share um, how God dealt with her and how God brought her to freedom and understanding, um, healing. So, <laughs> I remember I was, um, at that point I was working, just to give you a little context, um, I work from home, but my daughter was in a small private school in Sugar Creek. So I would take my computer and they gave me a little office out there in Sugar Creek. And that's, I was just working, uh, and really not paying any attention to anything spiritual. Um, and we got a text message to pray for a woman who was in the Cleveland Clinic um, and who had uh, cancer. And it was such an aggressive cancer that the tumors were forming so fast that it was snapping her bones. Um, and so I real quickly sent off a text um, that said, I'm praying right now for her. Let me know if she like if they would like us to go to the hospital to pray. Um, and as soon as I went to send that message, I felt this check in my spirit. Um, and I, I honestly, I felt the Lord say to me, what are you going to take into that hospital room when you go? And I was just kind of like, <laughs> you know, taken aback because like my, my mind was not at all in a, you know, in a real spiritual frame. And I was like, uh, well, I'm going to go pray for her. And they're like, well, what are you going to take with you when you pray? And so I started to think about how I, at that point, typically prayed for people. And I, I realized it was, I was almost identical to the example that he gave this morning. Um, you know, Lord, please help this person. And if you don't help us deal with the ramifications. Um, and honestly, you know, there are a few times when I have felt the Lord speak so clearly in a way that, you know, just isn't like scripture. <laughs> I honestly felt the Lord say to me, that woman would be better off dying without you than you going and taking something else that is not real faith into that room. She would be better off dying without you. And it almost crushed me. I mean, it, it did. Like, I was like, Oh, my lands. You know, I've been a Christian since I was a tiny girl and have loved God and have believed his word, but I, I did not walk in faith in healing. And honestly, like, I've always believed that God could heal, but I struggle with whether or not he would heal. Uh, and, and that is not the, the, the faith that the Bible teaches and that shows. And so I, you know, I started thinking about like, Okay, how did, how did the people in the Bible, what did they say when they healed people? 
They said, be healed. (laughs) They said, get up. They didn't say, Lord, if you would, or Lord, please. Never once in scripture was that the attitude of prayer. And I I remember that day, honestly, there was like sunshine. It's kind of a silly thing. There's like sun shining through my office door. And I took my phone and I actually took a selfie with God because I like, I felt that like, that's how illuminated I felt just like, oh my goodness, this is like totally, totally different. And I, I tell you, I know that it is because of that experience that in my personal life, I have struggled. And I've got multiple things in my life. I've got Joe, I've got my daughter with the Tourette's that she's struggling with right now. And I know that it's because of that, um, that word, that, that, um, what do you call that? When you, huh? Revelation, that's the word. <laughs> because of that revelation that Satan is fighting with everything he's got to get me to let go of that. Um, because it's that faith that those people had in the Bible when they just said, like, get up. <laughs> you know, there was no big, big thing. So anything else? That's good. Amen. Thank you. So the, the specific question that she asked me, she sent a text and all it said was, did the disciples ever ask God to heal anyone? Answer the question. Did the disciples ever ask God to heal anyone? Not one of them. They never asked God for healing after they were imparted with the ability to heal. Their prayers were, receive your sight, take up your bed, get up and walk, be made strong. Um, Tabitha, you're just sleeping. Wake up. Thank you, Heather. Um, she was on her way out the door, now she's going to stay. <laughs> I saw her sneaking out. I was like, I'll just get her involved. She can't leave then. I think all of us need to go through that moment of illumination because what started to happen to me is I prayed those prayers of doubt. Like, literally, I was like, just in case God isn't big enough and bad enough, I'm just going to lay a safety net under him. If he can't handle this one, I'm going to make sure that in my prayer, I vocally, I vocally confess a way out in case he can't. What? The guy that defeated hell, death, and the grave needs my help just in case he can't do the job. It doesn't make sense to me. And honestly, I'm dead serious. I was, how many of you were in my youth group? Anybody in here? She was, she was saved there on one of our outreaches. Yeah, there's one. So, man, I'd pray for these young people, and then I'd be like, and give them grace just to deal with this illness, and I'd walk away, and I'd be like, Ugh. Like, I know it's not right, but I can't stop. And I'd pray for the next one, and I'd pray harder. I'd be like, you healer in Jesus' name, I command this disease to leave. And then I'd be like, but if you can't. <laughs> and then I'd do it again. I'd walk away, and I'd be like, oh, why? <clears throat> and we have to just come to a place where we trust the record. Where we trust Jesus' resume to be able to co- overcome hell, death, the grave, and any sickness and ailment that he ever encountered. Do you know you can search the scriptures high and low and you cannot find a sick person that came to Jesus sick and left that way too? You can't find it. So I'm going to put faith in him. Do you know faith can actually become an idol? You can have faith in healing. You can have faith in faith. Or you can have faith in Jesus. Only one of them will get you anywhere. It's really easy to have faith in faith and you don't even realize it. 
Because if you have faith in faith, you'll think the amount of faith that you have will actually gain you something. Faith isn't in faith. Faith is in Jesus, and he never changes. The amount of faith that you are given has nothing to do with the outcome of your prayer. Has nothing to do with the outcome of your prayer. Jesus, all who came to Jesus were healed. Now, who lives in you? That's the revelation that brings about healing. Okay, Matthew chapter 10, right? Matthew chapter 10, verse 1, we had, he had called all 12 disciples to him and he gave them power, ready, over unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. The Greek word heal was the, excuse me, excuse me, the English word heal was the Greek word therapuo, therapuo, and it means to restore to health and to cure. When it says heal every disease, the word every was the Greek word pass, P-A-S, which means each, every, any, all, whole, everything, all things, and everything. So he gave them power to restore anything to health. In the word sickness and disease in the New Testament meant infirmity, debility, bodily weakness, or sickness. So the reason I bring this out is because we have to understand we can't put physical healing under the bridge of unbelief because we believe in spiritual healing. When God deals with a human, he deals with the human that he created. He created a human with a spirit, as a spirit, with a soul, in a body. And because he created us that way, he heals us that way. He operates with us on that way. Adam and Eve were not destined for sickness. As a matter of fact, something we need to understand, Adam and Eve were made for something. They weren't made as something. As you sit as a redeemed Christian, you're made for something. Adam and Eve had the opportunity to eat of one of two trees. They weren't made, created with the tree of life in them. They had to eat it. So do you. Get me? Because Adam and Eve had not eaten of either the tree of life or the tree of knowledge of good and evil, they had a decision to make, and so do you. And because they ate of the knowledge of good and evil, God cast them out of the garden just in case they ever had the opportunity to eat from the, excuse me, from the tree of life. Because then they would live in condemnation forever. And that would have been bad news. Most of us Christians don't realize that we're standing here with a fork in the road where we can either believe the record, believe in life, or we can believe in the knowledge of good and evil. We can start making our own decisions and our own judgments on truth, or we can receive his. But the fact is, you and I have to eat something. Choose life. Choose life. He is the tree. Matthew chapter 10. It goes through the disciples' names. I can pronounce most of these ones. Got me through seminary. Just kidding, didn't go to seminary. All right. <laughs> Verse, I actually asked one of my overseers, like, um, yeah, yeah, I did. I said, should I go to seminary? He said, no, you'll die there. <laughs> Just keep doing what you do. They call it cemetery because... Only one out of the ten that go actually come out and go into ministry. Oh boy, okay. Verse five, we won't read their names. These twelve Jesus sent out and commanded, say, don't go to the way of the Gentiles enter this, or enter the city of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as you go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand, heal the sick, 
Cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, so freely give. Okay, so we have a painfully clear mission from Jesus himself. It's not just preach. We can't be all talk. As a matter of fact, Paul said a lot about Christians who were all talk. He said, you will find some people that have a form of godliness, but they deny the power from such people. Stay away. That's counterfeit Christianity. The preaching of the gospel without the demonstration of power is a counterfeit. It's not the real thing. You never find that in the New Testament. So what we see here is Jesus, clearly, Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 and 2, he gives them his authority. Verse 7 and 8, he sends them out with it. Now, this is what I want to show you. Turn to the book of Matthew chapter 17. The Gospels were written chronologically. So as you read Matthew's letter, or Matthew's record, you realize that Matthew 17 comes out after Matthew 10. I like, I like reading your highlights in here, Jeremiah. <clears throat> now I know his heart. It's good. Oh, boy. I could just preach on what you got highlighted. All right, so listen, the reason I bring this up is because we have, we have an impartation that comes to the disciples. He gave them authority over to heal every sickness and every disease, to cast out all unclean spirits. In the middle of chapter 10, he gives them the commission to go walk in it. But in Matthew chapter 17, we see a problem. In this problem, we have the only moment in all of Scripture that Jesus deals with healing. Better yet, Jesus deals with someone not getting healed. So if we find our answers anywhere other than this passage, we're making them up. So here it is. Nobody likes to reason through this passage. I'll warn you, okay? All right. I just went like this with your Bible. <laughs> Didn't work. <laughs> We're live. Okay. Let's do verse 14. When they had come to the multitude, a man came to him kneeling down and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He's an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and into the water. I brought him to your disciples, and they could not cure him. Right? Then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon. It came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Okay. So this, this passage answers a few questions for us and forces us to come to a place where we're able to evaluate the body as a whole. Okay, so the, the two things that we as Christians have thrown into the gospel that aren't actually there are will and timing, right? Will and timing. Maybe it's not God's will to heal. Now, what does this passage look like? We have a group of people that didn't and a man that did. Was it God's will to heal? Yes. And it goes to the pain to say that that boy was healed from that very hour. So was it God's timing? It was God's timing. It was his will, and it was his timing. That's not a factor when it comes to healing. 
Jesus, as a person, God, as our Father, cannot contradict his nature. He doesn't the God, he isn't the God that heals, he is healing. So if healing doesn't heal, then healing isn't healing. And he can't contradict his own name. Okay? So here, in this passage, we have truth that forces us to reckon with our understanding. We can't use timing and healing anymore. What it says we have to do is come to a place of belief. That the body has to agree to come into unity with what Jesus says. Now... Verse 19 says, then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So understand that they are not around the sick boy and his, and his father anymore. They're at dinner later. And now Jesus is, is talking to them and they're like, hey, Rabbi, we need, we, need to, we need to know why we walked. Listen, they walked for six chapters and healed people. And then all of a sudden they get to this, this epileptic guy and they couldn't do it. So they said, Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? And his answer is this, because of your unbelief. He said, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Now, there's something in Scripture called an exegetical subject. The exegetical subject is what everything in that passage is referring to. So oftentimes, we take this passage to mean that there is a certain hierarchy or layer of demonic activity that takes prayer and fasting to move. Right? But they are no longer in the setting with the sick boy and his father. They're not talking about demons anymore. The exegetical subject of this passage is now their unbelief. So they said, why couldn't we cast it out? Jesus said it was because of your unbelief. I say to you that you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can tell the mountain to leave and it'll listen to you. Nothing will be impossible for you. But this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. He wasn't talking about this kind of demon. He was talking about this kind of disbelief. Are you following me? So there are things, these elements of disbelief that we as Christians have have allowed to become commonplace in our preaching and understanding. Like just asking the question, if it's God's will or if it's his timing, is a confession of unbelief. You with me? I'm not, listen, what we don't want to do is beat ourselves up over this. What we do want to do is come into agreement with God's word. And come into a life of prayer and fasting. That would probably help. This kind of disbelief only comes out by prayer and fasting. We have painfully and wrongly dumbed down the mission of believers that Jesus commanded. From what we read as go preach and heal and raise the dead. Into please go guilt people into repeating a prayer. And if guilt doesn't work, use hell. That'll scare them. The Great Commission was for all believers to display the way, truth, and the life of Jesus and train others to do the same. Make sure your Great Commission hasn't become a good suggestion replaced by a membership drive to a social club that's only concern is an afterlife. You guys with me? Okay. So, whose job is it to heal the sick? It's the church's job. Jesus himself, in Matthew chapter 10, said, I give you my power. Acts chapter 2, he says, you have power to be my witnesses. Every commission that God gave had the commission to both preach and demonstrate the gospel of the kingdom. 
So all of us now have the responsibility to manifest the reality of heaven through our actual lives. What that needs, excuse me, what we need to bring into our lives as a church is the absence of all the cultural and theological fallacies that we've brought into a pure gospel of healing. Because I'm I'm telling you this from experience. Every unanswered prayer that you've ever prayed will try to speak into your doctrine. Every family member that you've ever lost, every sick person that you've ever seen stayed sick, and every person that you've prayed for that limped away will try to make itself in to your doctrine. And what Jesus is saying here is that if it makes it into your doctrine, it will actually continue to pollute your doctrine, and you'll be full of more disbelief. So we as Christians have to take a stance on healing. Are you with me so far? Like I said, I'm I'm not trying to like motivate or encourage. I'm really trying to challenge our paradigm. And a lot of you might not know, but I mean, just because I'm preaching truth doesn't mean that I'm exempt from going through what all of us have gone through to try to speak into our into what we believe. I prayed for a young man with spinal meningitis that had two weeks to live. I killed him that day. I didn't kill him. But he died that day in Altman. He's 19 years old. He actually went to my cousin's church, and he wasn't available. So they sent me, and he died early. I'm like, poor choice, boys. Been there. Other stuff. Won't go into it. It'll just breed more disbelief. But the fact is, what does Jesus say? And does, does what we see have anything to do with what he says? Absolutely not. God's design for healing. We have to see God's design for the kingdom and our responsibility as kingdom representatives, better known as ambassadors. I just want to go through, I know it's 1130. I'm going to go through a few examples of what New Testament healing looks like. And we're going to pull some things from those examples that will make us a little more comfortable with receiving truth. Now, one of the things that has fallen on the church, I wrote a book like three, four, five, six, I forget years. You guys know I forget years. It's between five and ten years ago, four and eight, um, called Famous Church. And in that book, there is a lot of study on what false humility and self-righteousness will actually breed in a church. And it's never good. So most of us, as a Christian, we're afraid of taking glory away from God by being excellent. Familiar with the principle. We don't want to play too good at guitar solos. We don't want our vocals to be that great because we don't want people to be focused on us. Oh, my God. That's that's so much garbage. Jesus prayed prayers. He says, Father, glorify me that I might glorify you. King David said, increase my greatness. Like God's premise for being displayed as excellent was for you to be his representative. So sometimes we won't step fully into healing and miracles because we don't want to be that guy. So what if every time you walk into the mall, people get out of wheelchairs? It doesn't make you famous. It makes him famous. That's okay with me. But we've been so afraid of the opinions of religious people that we are afraid of spotlights, we're afraid of fame, we're afraid of news cameras coming to say, hey, there's this church in New Philly. Everybody that walks through the doors gets healed. Bring it on. Now, Acts chapter 3. Peter and John were going to the temple at the time of prayer. It was 3 in the afternoon. 
And now a man crippled from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those who were going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, and so did John, and Peter said, look at us. Everybody say, look at us. Right? So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Peter said, silver and gold I don't have, we're pastors. (laughs) Silver and gold I don't have, but what I do have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Get up and walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet, began to walk, and they went into the temple courts, walking, jumping, and praising God. Now, fantastic example, right? But what kind of faith does it take to take somebody that was laying on the side of the road and actually pick him up? It's not just, I'll pray for you from here and and give it a shot. They literally picked up a man that couldn't hold himself and let him go. And he stayed standing. Now, this is the amazing thing. Read on in Acts chapter 3 when you get some time. I don't want to take your time. They walk into the temple, leaping, jumping, and praising God. And all of the Pharisees that had just crucified Jesus 40 days prior are gathered there. And they said, what's this guy walking for? He said, because the Jesus that you crucified just picked him up. After they said, look at us. Then they were able to say, no, look at him. We're able to deflect our excellence to its source. But when we bypass ourselves being the source of excellence, excuse me, the reflection of excellence, they'll never see your source. So don't be afraid. Playing small doesn't help anybody. So many people sit in the seats of churches and they're like, oh, I'm just being arrogant for wanting to get up there and preach. Do you know how many preachers this world needs? Do you know how many preachers this church needs? A lot more than just me and a few others. Don't stay small. Acts 5. As a result, people brought the sick into the streets, laid them on beds and mats, so at least Peter's shadow might fall on them. As some of them passed by, crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem and brought their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. It's really important that we don't put the gift of healing in a box, right? Sometimes they just said, receive your sight. Sometimes they just walk by. There's no formula. Listen, that's the other thing Christians get get caught up in. Did I pray the right prayer? Did I say the right words? Did I pray too long? Did I pray too short? Was the worship band playing when it happened? All Peter did was walk by. And as he was walking, they just started stacking sick people up beside the road because his shadow was falling on people and they were getting up. Acts chapter 8, verse 6. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the miraculous signs he did, they paid close attention to what he said. With shrieks, evil spirits came out of many, and many paralytics and cripples were healed, so there was great joy in the city. Listen, he was preaching. As he was preaching, demons were leaving. As he was preaching, sick people were just being made well. No hands, no prayer, not even an acknowledgement of sickness. The kingdom came. Acts 9, 32. As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the saints in Lydda. And there he found a man named Aeneas, a paralytic who had been bedridden for eight years. He said, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Get up and take up your mat. Immediately Aeneas got up and those who lived in Lydda and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. Man, 
I got so many. All right. So let's, let's just talk about this. So we see the biblical record says that God heals. And the biblical record continued into the book of Acts says that Christians heal. Because Christ in them is the hope of glory. So what's the problem? Let's go back. Is it God's will? Is it God's timing? Those aren't problems. Those are certainties. As a matter of fact, there was even a leper that came to Jesus and said, if you're willing, make me clean. Jesus answered our question, I'm willing, be clean. That's what he said. We can't find justification other than the doubt that has been bred through bad teaching in our society. What I'm wanting to do and confront here today is can we, as a body, come to a place where we stand on truth regarding physical healing? And not only can we just come to a, mental, a place of mental ascension where we believe it's true, but if you believe it's true, something has to change in the way you act. Right? Every preacher uses this illustration. I've used it in here a hundred times. But there's the guy that was crossing the, uh, the tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he walked across it with a stick, and then he went across it with a bike, and then he went across it with a wheelbarrow. And then he said, how many of you think I can get to the other side with a person in the wheelbarrow? And everybody says, we believe you can do it. And he said, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> Changes things changes things but our lack of practice feeds our lack of faith not praying for sick people not seeing people healed actually continues a cycle of disbelief in us and it puts us in a place where things just get worse and worse and worse so i'm gonna close with this don't even have to get up i'm just gonna teach and then we'll go home faith is not your problem i want to teach you about faith when they said Why couldn't we cast him out? He said, it's because of your unbelief. He didn't say it's because of your faith. He said, listen, if you got this much faith, you can move a mountain. Nothing will be impossible for you. So understand this about your faith. You can't have more faith. You can't have less faith. You can't give yourself faith. You can't do anything with your faith because you were saved by grace through faith. And that faith was a gift from God and it wasn't of yourself. So God deposited in you what's needed to bring about miraculous happenings. But what we're responsible to do is to renew our mind against the things that contradict the truth that's in us. Because James, he said, believe and don't doubt. Jesus said, if you ask anything, believing without doubting. And then he says, it's your unbelief. So understand that faith isn't on a sliding scale. Faith is present at all times. But what are you allowing to reside in your mind that was contrary to continued truth? Are you with me? So faith and unbelief. Unbelief is not the absence of faith. It's the presence of a lie. And part of coming to maturity as a Christian is you and I coming into a place where we're willing to discipline our thoughts. Where we're willing to take risks. Where we're willing to pray for people that we're terrified to pray for. And we don't end our prayer with some kind of magic catch net for God just in case he doesn't come through. Listen, he told us, lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. He said, pray for him. He gave us the provision. It's his stripes that healed him. 